In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, this book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. Okay, so we are nearing the end of Ecclesiastes, and we've gone through a whole bunch of content of stuff that Solomon has been talking about in regards to life and how to live life wisely and well and how life works. So we're diving into Ecclesiastes 11 right now, and Joey's going to give us a brief summary of the chapter before we dive into the verses. So Solomon continues in chapter 11 to talk about what it looks like to make wise investments. A possible reaction to this reality of Hebel that we've been talking about, this uncertainty, the mystery of life, is that we just throw up our hands and say, well, then nothing matters. I'm just not going to do anything. And so what Solomon does here in chapter 11 is try to encourage us out of apathy and to try to push us into wise stewardship. Verses 1 through 5. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Well, Joey, this is uh, really more and more just coming right into my bailiwick here because uh, I'm I'm an investor as a profession. And what I do is is invest in a a world with tremendous uncertainty. I'm in the oil and gas business. And you never know what the price is going to be. And you never know if the well is going to be dry. And, you know, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. So when we, we, when we drill a well, we, we, put the, we put the money in and then it comes back over 50 years. So this cast on your bread on the waters and it will come to and you will find it after many days. That, that seems to be a picture that sounds a lot like an investment. Maybe in this case, Solomon had. Uh, in mind, a, an investment of uh, grain, maybe a grain shipment, uh, because this this word that's translated bread is trans- translated other places meal. So it, it also might be that it's it's he's thinking about sustenance and, and maybe you know money you can turn into bread instead of buying something I'm going to consume like bread. I, I'm going to invest this, and it comes back after many days, because it seems like this is a, this is an investment, um, uh, picture that he's, that he's having here, uh, that the next thing he says, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. Cause you know what, 
misfortune may occur on the earth. That's really talking about risk management, like don't put all your eggs in one basket. You need you need some you know diversification. Don't don't put all your money into one well. You need to divide. You need to uh, invest in several different wells because uh, one might be dry. That sort of thing. Well, and, you know, the Bible talks about the sea generally as a place of chaos and a lot of metaphors. You know, Jesus calms the seas. It's often used in imagery as this place of uncertainty, this place of Hebel. Where, and so it seems a bit uh, counterintuitive to our minds, especially those of us, Tim, that aren't don't do investment for a living, to think that uh, the way to succeed is to cast your what you do have into a kind of a state of chaos, into a state of uncertainty. It seems much wiser to hoard it, to protect it at all costs. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I first started investing in the oil, oil and gas business, I was real excited about it. And I, and I told my wife and she said, you know, what good is money if you're not spending it? You know, which, which tends to be our, our, our natural uh, uh, bent, you know, it's like, what, you mean deferring consumption? Why, why would I want to do that? But that, that is actually what God asks us to do with our very lives, to invest them in such a way that the biggest benefit comes later. And you know, kids are like this. If you want to hoard your kids, what you're going to do is basically uh, keep them in a state of dependency on you. And you're actually crippling them from growing up and, and becoming everything they should be. And, and, and more than likely, they're going to rebel and and uh, it's not going to be a pretty picture. But uh, as opposed to that, if you really invest in your kids and give them the tools to be self-governing, give them a good foundation, make it clear to them that you'll never reject them, you'll, no matter what they do, you'll only approve uh, behavior that's in their best interest. But in terms of acceptance, that's unconditional. You give it to them just like God does to us. Now you're giving the kids a foundation to go away and succeed. And you know what tends to happen when they know they can come back to you and get support and sustenance and not control? They tend to come back. They tend to come back, sure. And, and when they come back because they're dependent and you've crippled them, you know, that, that's, that's not a good, that's just a, 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 a that's basically a shows hoarding. So it's that way with possessions. It's that way with relationships. It's that way with even how we invest our lives. We, we, we can invest our lives in today. And that's like Hebrews calls that like Esau, who sold his inheritance that was many years down the road for a bowl of stew. And Esau's perspective was, and he said this, you know, what good's inheritance going to do me if I die of starvation? I'm hungry now. And so when we say, I'm going to focus on today's appetite, tomorrow I'm not going to worry about, uh, that, that's actually, Hebrews calls that, if, if I remember right, something like uh, profane. It, it's a, it's a, a bad way to approach life. And here Solomon is telling us some key investment principles. You, you can't eat your bread at, and invest it at the same time, but make those investments. Do it wisely. Divide it up into seven or eight places, but be recognized. There is risk out there. Don't be foolish. So therefore, manage the risk wisely. And, and when we try to hoard relationships, what often happens is, is we ruin community. And when we try to hoard our possessions, what happens is is it tends to ruin us. 
And so it seems counterintuitive to us, but this is what Solomon is saying is the truth. We have to let go a little bit in order to to gain, in order to experience. And so Tim, as you were just talking about with your with your kids, you have to like let go. You, you're kind of having to transfer control or custody or ownership, however you want to say that, to your your kids, and and so that they are empowered and allowed to make the choices. And oftentimes that does result in in them coming back to you. Uh, but it is a risk. It is a letting go of control. It is a casting uh, into the, the waters of chaos. But it's also an opportunity to involve yourself to participate in community, um, empower and and recognize the spirit of God in other people and allow that to take action in due course. Because another part of this is time. When you make an investment, Tim, you just said this, sometimes it's a big gap of time, but there's always a, a gap of time that's involved when you make uh, an investment. And that requires waiting, that requires hoping, that requires trusting, which are all words that are synonymous with a lack of, of our control. Yeah, and he, he even uses uh, agriculture here, which would have been common in that time. Um, if, if you watch the wind, you won't sow. And if you look at the clouds, you won't reap. So sowing is planting seeds and reaping is harvesting the seeds where there's, there's this time period where you have to wait for the crop to grow and the fruit to produce before you sow. But you got to make the investment in the first place if you want to reap the benefit. And uh, if you want to spend your time uh, watching the clouds or watching the wind, then there's no benefit. And, and similarly, if you want to just eat bread and you never cast that money, that, that fin- those finances, you never cast it on the waters, then... In other words, you don't make the investment, then then there's no return, and and that that also holds true, just like you said in relationships. I actually have a family business, and I work with uh, many of my kids, and um, you know, the three of the sons uh, that work with me, three of the four sons work with me, and and I told them I would love to work with them, but I was very explicit with them. You, it won't work unless you're your own man. Well, and I think according to these verses, one of the grounding factors for good investment or another way we could just say that is good stewardship of one's life is recognizing reality for what it is. So when these when these verses say uh, whether a tree falls to the north or to the south, wherever it falls, there it lies. And also says when clouds are full of water, what do they do? They pour rain on the earth. Like, And what it's saying here is these are the inevitable consequences of nature and we can't alter reality to fit what we would like it to be we have to work within the confines of reality so that's the whole point of ecclesiastes and the point of 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 these verses is as you're considering how to invest how to steward your life your time your money your opportunities you have to do so tethered to reality otherwise it's going to be unfruitful and it's going to lead to continuing frustration, madness, and futility. And, and verse five keep, goes on with that. Like part of reality is you don't know the path of the wind and no one understands uh, like something like how to a sperm and an egg turns into a human being. I mean, that they can describe it, but nobody really fully understands how in the world that happens. Uh, and certainly nobody can reproduce it. Uh, apart from the creation God made. 
So part of reality is you know very little. So you're investing and you know very little. So one of the best things, advice that I could give to anybody that wants to get an investment is recognize what you don't know. And most of the time you don't know almost everything. And, and when you pretend like you do know, that's when you're going to be in the biggest, biggest uh, jeopardy. Uh, but actually, humility is seeing reality for what it is. And, and I think one of the most important characteristics uh, for a good investor of any sort, financial or, uh, or use, like you said, a steward, financial relationship, uh, the time that we are given on earth, whatever it is we're investing, one of the most important uh, attributes to develop is humility, which is just seeing reality as it is. The tree is there. It just is. You can you can complain that it ought to be uh, still standing or it should be facing north instead of south, but you know what it is? It's there. Well, and he concludes this section by saying, "We don't you know exactly what you're saying, Tim. We we don't know the activity of God, the Maker of all things, and so in order for us to build wise investments, in order us in order for us to steward our lives well." We have to have that as our foundation. And the whole beauty of Ecclesiastes is not, don't make any investments, don't steward your life, none of it matters. The whole point is, if we try to do it apart from God, it's a disaster. And if we lean into the reality of the created order and we trust in God as our foundational, uh, as we trust in God as our foundation for investments and for stewardship, uh, then we it leads to an alignment with reality, which leads to all sorts of effectiveness and success. Well said. And the, the one thing that uh, we're going to see next is all that being the case still takes a lot of effort. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Well, first off, that that word futility at the very end there is another translation of hevel. So so we're talking about the same thing as, as where it's translated vanity or um, the vaporous idea that we've talked about before. But really, to, these are verses about avoiding apathy. These are verses that encourage us to get out there and try uh, to do, um, to, to make an effort. And I think one of the great truths of life is that life is a balance between effort and waiting, uh, between control and, and not control. What we tend to do is, is mix up which parts are which. So there's only three things we can control. And we're supposed to control those things. Uh, but there's so many other things that we cannot control and we're not su- supposed to control those things. And so, again, we are people who love to be extremists. We love to be people who either take full control or people that throw up our hands and say, I can't do anything. What does anything matter? And what this is saying is that life really is a balance between the two. And if you neglect your effort, you're going to set yourself up for failure just as much as if you neglect the waiting and the trusting and the giving into uh, the reality that you are not God yourself. Yeah, and one of the things we control is what we do, how much effort we put in. We don't control how many hours there are in a day. That's a given. Uh, 
but we do control what we do with the hours that we are given. And this do not be idle literally means do not rest your hand. God gave us the energy to strive, and so he wants us to invest that wisely. And he said, and he really is pretty emphatic here. He says, so in the morning and the evening. So it, it seems that he, this is not a nine to five schedule here. We got a farmer in mind. You, you got, you know, sun, in the, in the sowing season, the, you know, sun comes up, sun goes down. That, that's the time you have to plant is while the sun's up. And you don't know if the seed you sow in the morning is going to work or the seed you sow in the afternoon is going to work. So sow both. And same, same with investing. You got seven or eight different investments. You don't know which one's going to work. Tend to them all. Put energy and resources into them all. Uh, you've got children. Put, put resources and time into them all. You've got disciples. Put time and resources into them all. You don't know which ones are going to work. You don't try to decide in advance which one's going to be successful. Invest in them all. And, and the, the, the core underpinning of what it takes to do that is to make use of your time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 in the New Testament says, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. See then, do not be foolish. So foolish is not making good use of your time, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is to make wise use of your time. So this is Solomon's time, 35 years, 100 years ago, uh, just after Jesus's time, 2,000 years ago, and it's today the same way. Uh, we like to say every week has 168 hours. So the question is, how are you investing your 168 hours? I, I would really recommend that you keep a log and write down at the end of the day how you spent all your time. I learned this trick at uh, the school we helped found. And we, we, it's a difficult school. We ask kids to do a lot of work. And we started getting this early, early when we first started, we started getting a lot of feedback like, I just don't have time for my family. I just don't have time for my mom and dad. I don't have time to invest in church. And so we, we said, well, why don't you keep a log? Well, you know what they didn't have time for? They had plenty of time for video games and for goofing <laughs> off and for all kinds of things. What they, what they're really saying is, I don't want to do that much work. Okay. And one of the things that's really great to do, a great exercise is keep a log. And then of what you do with your time. And then, then at the end of the week, say, were all of those good investments of time? And this is something that I've developed. It's changed my habits pretty significantly because I always kind of have this little, little, I'm sitting in the stands watching myself in my mind, constantly asking myself, is that a good investment of time? Yeah, I think one of the key truths in these verses is that Solomon is not saying, be mindful about how you invest in your church solely. What he's saying is, is so, so you see in the morning, in the evening, don't, don't be idle. He's saying, invest in seven, in seven ventures, even eight ventures. And I think one of the keys of what he's saying is that your family is a spiritual venture. Your work is a spiritual venture. Your free time 
is a spiritual venture. And yes, your church involvement is a spiritual venture as well. He doesn't designate between those in, in these verses. He just says, work as unto the Lord. He said earlier in, in here, whatever your hand finds to do, do it for the Lord. And so I think one of the keys here is Christian living is every moment of your life. It's every arena of your life, every phase of your life, every section of your life. And all of those deserve our effort. And not just our physical and mental effort, but our spiritual effort as well. And Tim, along those lines, would you say, hearing you talk about like the exercise of, of mapping out your week, would you say that in that regard, investment is inevitable? We are investing in something. Yes, yes. You, that's a great way to say it. We are investing all of our time. The question is, are we investing wisely or foolishly, as Ephesians 5 said? If we invest foolishly, we, we are casting our bread on the waters and we're getting, we're, and, we're, and we, can, we can hope for a great return many days. If we don't, we're just consuming it all. And there's no, you know, we're just eating our bread. We're not, we're not casting any of it on the water. And Solomon gives us these reminders is that even with all this effort, even with this intentionality, even with the diversification of investments, you still don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You still can't control the outcomes. It still, still isn't. It's still Hebel. <laughs> yeah, it's still Hebel. This, we, I think we try so much to read these kinds of things and read into like, okay, this is the formula to get the outcomes that I want. And he's just reminding us constantly, I'm telling you to try. But And I'm telling you to try in diverse ways in every area of your life. I'm telling you to invest well. But I'm reminding you that even doing so doesn't guarantee the outcome you desire. Yeah, and, and not only that, he specifically says there will be days of darkness. And you know what you should do? Remember them. Why? Learn. Learn from you. You're going to make investments that don't work. You know what you should do? Learn from them. You're going to invest in people that turn on you. You're going to do things with your kids that you're going to look back and say, well, that was really dumb. I did the wrong thing. You're going to make financial investments that don't work. Every single thing you do is an opportunity for learn. At the end of the day, all those investments you're cast out of the water, well, well, the one thing you can keep from that is who you become. And uh, that so... Not only do you want to remember those things so you can learn, you also want to rejoice in every day. So while you're doing this hard work, rejoice in it. See it as a privilege. See it as a, as a great opportunity, a once-in-existence opportunity to invest into the Hebel, not knowing what the outcome's going to be and just trusting in God in that. So really, we see all three things we control here. We're, we're choosing a perspective. We're rejoicing even though there's Hebel, we don't control the outcome. We're learning uh, when things go wrong. So that's, that's a perspective we're choosing. And we're putting a ton of effort in. We're really working. As long as the light is, as long as the sun's out and there's light, we're really working to invest hard. But ultimately, we're leaving it in the hands of God. Because why? Because we know that we can't control the outcomes. So, but we can't control trusting in him. We can't control that. And like you said, what we typically try to do is figure out how to control God, how to control circumstances, and adopt whatever perspective that happens to come along. So we, we get everything backwards. 
And when we steward the things we do control and trust God in the things we don't, we can actually come out with wisdom and rejoicing and a perspective that just embraces life in the circumstances that come, what, what it is, what it is. And when we approach it the wrong way, uh, really what we're setting ourselves up for is madness and folly. All right, we're going to finish up with the last two verses. Verses 9 and 10. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Yeah, I've been I've been working on a Proverbs commentary recently, and so immediately the thing that jumps out to me is is uh, the young man here because that's that's how Solomon addresses his audience throughout Proverbs, and so I think part of this is is a bit of a setup as Kylie mentioned at the very beginning of this we're we're really very close to the finish line here, and, and so I think that there is a connection to Proverbs uh, of setting up um, what to do how to do this, how to practically do this, and, and that companion book that goes along with Ecclesiastes. That makes, it, that makes a ton of sense. And, and it's interesting here, uh, again, he, we've got attention. We've got attention that's, that's resolved with faith. On the one he said, hand, he says, man, while you're young and you got a lot of energy and, and you're, you're vigorous and, you're, and you got all these desires, man, pursue things with gusto. And, and have a lot of fun. We hear that part all the time, right? And then he says, but keep in mind that God's going to bring you to judgment for everything you do. So that creates a freedom V. <laughs> that creates boundaries. Do everything that's pleasant, but this is another investment thing, right? What you do in your youth is going to have consequences, and those consequences are going to resound all the way into eternity. So do things that pleasant that are in your best interest. Enjoy things in a way that will uh, compound into good, not compound into evil. Uh, follow your own interest. Have wisdom about what you enjoy, but do enjoy because when you get older, your body's not going to do the things it used to do, and and you're, you're going to have pains. I'm experiencing that now. You know, I, what I got for my 65th birthday was knees that hurt. It seemed like it's like, <laughs> man, it's almost like I turned 65. Now my knees hurt all the time. And, you know, things, things just don't work as good as they used to. But, you know, while, while they do work, enjoy, enjoy things. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. For those of you who don't know what the Freedom V is, it's one of the tools in our servant leadership toolbox that you can find on thecrossroad.net. And it is a mental model and a set of definitions that help us to create a self-governing culture within our organizations. Well said, and, and it's an extension of what God does to us. He, he, he gives boundaries not to control us, but to create consequences. So uh, what, what Freedom V is, is uh, clearly communicated consequences for behavior so that people understand uh, where their boundaries are and where they're free to make choices and where they're uh, and with, without consequences, positive or negative, and where they're free to 
uh, and where the consequences are going to kick, kick in. And here it is, there's going to be judgment for everything we do. And here it is. And it's, and it doesn't start later in life. It starts right here in youth. Well, and Tim, you had said that this is a bit of a paradox. And just to tease that out a little more, I'm looking at the verses that the verse or the section of the verse that says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. And, and, and we read that. I, we probably see it, it, or at least I do. My first instinct is thinking about, you know, sin and, and, and our kind of flesh centered impulse and desire. But I think that there's a deeper truth that we have good impulses. We have good desires of our eyes as well. And sin is actually just a perversion of those things. And so I, part of what I think is at play here is that he's saying your impulses are, are good uh, spiritual longings, but your flesh tells you some sort of lie about how to achieve those things. And that gets you off course. And so be careful how you chase after those impulses. God is going to judge whether you follow the longing of your heart towards its true hope or towards some perverted, distorted uh, lie of achieving it. But we do get this this paradox, as you're saying, of of go, enjoy, give it your best shot, but be aware you're, there's going to be consequences and you're going to be judged. So don't do it frivolously. Do it with intention and with real care and discernment. Yeah, and, and you know, First uh, Timothy um, 6 tells us God gives us richly all things to enjoy. And like you said, all things were made for our good. All our desires are good, but they've been twisted. So the key thing is is not the th- is is not the thing. Uh, food is good, and you know uh, drugs are good. But do you abuse them? People are good. Do you abuse them? Uh, your time is as a great gift. Do you squander it? So it, it's not it, it's it's how we get things done how we satisfy, how we pursue our desires. God wants us to have our desires fulfilled. If we'll fulfill it his way, we actually get fulfillment. The world, as they say, promises everything and delivers nothing. He moves on to talk about, he says, remove grief and and anger from your, from your heart and, and put away pain from your body. And, and I think a lot of this is talking about the grief of circumstances uh, when we encounter things that we don't like, we can sort of grab hold of them and feel as though we've been wrong, that there's this real kind of injustice do- done to our fleshly impulses. And he's saying just like let go of those things because your youth is fleeting. You you don't have much time uh, in the young kind of blossoming of your life. And in that phase, you set up a lot of patterns that are harder to break the longer you get into life. And so imagine if a teenager or a college student can set up a pattern of holding their, their grief or their pain properly and then letting go of it properly. Then 30 years down the road, they're not still uh, feeling as though there's a 14-year-old who was rejected by something and, and or have freed themselves up to, to, to be more of a mature disciple. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.